you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, hey, I hope you're having a wonderful week taking care of business. You know, we're now in the last quarter of the year. It's a great time to be planning what you want your business to look like next year. By business, I mean whatever it is you're doing. If you're working a job, if you have your own thing. You know, I encourage people to look at themselves as self-employed, no matter what you're doing. Because ultimately, you are working for yourself. So we're going to look at it in that way. What are you doing to advance your career? You, it's your business Incorporated, Dan Miller Inc., John Jones Inc., whatever your name is, put an INC behind it. You have your own business. We're going to be looking at it in that way. Well, the theme for this week is where is your thinking leading you? Again, we'll have a quotation that will help expand that in a little bit. Here are some of the questions we're going to be talking about today. Dan, I'm 33 years old and making eleven ninety-six an hour. And obviously the question is, how can I make more money? Dan, I'm finding that personal excellence often invokes jealousy in coworkers. I'd mentioned that last week, didn't get to it. I want to expand on that a little bit. How does one go about opening the door for affiliate income? People hear me talking about that frequently. How do you do that? I'll give you some examples. Dan, I love what I do. However, I'm struggling with cold calls. I'm wondering if there can be a point where a job or career is such a poor fit that you can't maintain a positive or upbeat attitude. Well, yeah, there is. So we'll look at that. Well, here's our quotation. Now, this is a little longer than most, but this comes from an old poem called The Victor. And I wanted to read it today. C.W. Longnecker is the author. But this is what our thinking can do for us or against us. The victor, if you think you are beaten, you are. If you think you dare not, you don't. If you like to win but think you can't, it's almost a cinch you won't. If you think you'll lose, you're lost. For out in the world we find success begins with a fellow's will. It's all in the state of mind. If you think you're outclassed, you are. You've got to think high to rise. You've got to be sure of yourself before you can ever win the prize. Life's battles don't always go to the stronger or faster man, but sooner or later, the man who wins is the man who thinks he can. Well, that's called the victor. Been around a long time. I think I was first introduced to that back in my Dale Carnegie days. Took the Dale Carnegie program, then worked with the Dale Carnegie guys in the Bowling Green, Kentucky arena we took a lot of the people who were working at the corvette plant in bowling green through that program it was a great process of development for me personal development and i highly recommend it but i think that's when i was first introduced to the victor well i want to start with some success stories as we always do i've got one this week that i'm uh, delighted to share back in may of this year Got a note from a guy who said, Dan, okay, here's the deal. He said, Dan, I wanted to say thank you so much for your books and podcast. 
I feel like I could just sit down and have coffee with you every Friday. I've been listening for the past two and a half years. I'm a farrier. Now, remember this? Talked about a guy being a farrier. Now, that's a fancy name for blacksmith. It really implies a little more than that, but a blacksmith. I'm a farrier. thought I could never get out of this line of work, but thanks to listening to you, I taught myself to be a software developer, studying 21 hours every week for the past seven months. I blogged about the entire journey three times a week, just launched my resume site, on May 23rd to try to get hired and I've already received two job offers with many other possible opportunities. Now that was his note. That was the note from Joshua Kemp back in May. Just got an update. Here we are in October. He says, Dan, I'm the farrier who learned to code. I just wanted to let you know that I did end up getting a great job that pays $70,000 and gives four weeks paid time off. I say this not to brag, but to encourage others to step out, take action, and go for their dreams. I ended up writing an ebook, No Degree, No Problem, and put it out last week on Amazon. I never thought I could write a book, but had so many people asking how I did it and how they could as well. I decided to do what I thought you would do, write the book you wish was written. I wanted to see if I could send you a copy of the book. Wasn't sure how to get it to you. Thanks for inspiring me and encouraging me to take action and to change my family's life. Joshua Kemp from Warrington, Virginia. Well, I did uh, send Joshua a note how he could just send that to me, his ebook. No degree, no problem. God, I'd be delighted to see that. Congratulations, Joshua, on taking action. And yours is a great success story. Hey, I'm going to bring up here a piece that you'll recognize. This is going to be our success story theme. Boy, has this song been used a lot. We're the champions. You know, I pulled this up on Queen a little bit ago, just on YouTube. This thing on YouTube has been viewed over 47 million times. So it's obviously been a theme, but we're going to have this be our theme for our success stories from now on. We are the champions. You know, I first started um, paying attention to this song back when my boys were racing bicycle BMX. Racing BMX. And we used that song as a theme. We had an outdoor bicycle BMX park that we would have the kids race on. And we used to use that to kind of pump the kids up before the races started. We are the champions. Anyway, thanks for your success stories. If you got a success story, just shoot it in. Just shoot an in to askdan at 48days.com. Love hearing those stories. Been with a lady this week who, in a period of being in really bad physical shape, on, lived on the couch for two years, got introduced to the 48 Days materials, and she's got a wonderful story of how that inspired her to go into a new season of her life. She's better physically, but she's doing some things that she could only have dreamed about back in those early years. I want her to tell that story, too. She promised me she'd do a little video of that that we'll be able to share. Well, let's go into the questions. This this one comes from Lee in Houston, who says, Dan, I want to start a T-shirt line. I don't have any experience in entrepreneurship or sales, but I really want to begin. I found a T-shirt wholesaler, and I have a business license. I see myself selling online at events and festivals and having my shirts in a major retailer. What do you think about a t-shirt line? How should I begin? Lee from Houston. Well, Lee, I have to assume that you're doing some kind of a unique design. I mean, otherwise t-shirts have no value as a business. I mean, they, they really don't. This puts you 
in place, even if you have a design, you know, it puts you in place with about a million other people, actually more than that, millions and millions. So you've got to figure out, like in any business, what makes this unique? I mean, there's so many people selling t-shirts. Sure, you want to have a good quality shirt, so people aren't disappointed about that. But what is it that's going to make your shirt unique? Now, when you say you want to start a t-shirt line, it scares me a little bit because I get this vision of you, you know, doing silk screening or some kind of a print process and you do 5,000 of those shirts and then you go out and hope you can sell them. That's a very risky kind of business. I mean, we it's hard to predict what people want, what they're going to be willing to pay for in terms of just a, a cool design on a t-shirt. I would encourage you really to experiment before you set yourself up in business. I would encourage you to experiment through sites like Zazzle, Z-A-Z-Z-L-E.com. You can go there. You can put your design up there. It doesn't cost you anything. And if people, in fact, like the design and buy it, then you make some of the money from the sales of that. Now, you can do the same thing with Threadless.com. Same kind of thing. I would encourage you to experiment with some designs until you find something that people really think is hot, where all of a sudden, you know, you're selling 15, 20 a week of your t-shirts. Then you know you have a winner. Then you can look at printing them yourself, actually having your own inventory where you go to online or where you go to um, outdoor events, flea markets, festivals, talk to retailers, those kind of things. I would really caution you. I mean, I've seen so many people jump into this kind of a business and three years later they have a garage full of product that they don't know how to sell and end up selling it for under cost. I mean, have, having something that people buy is, is a challenge. I mean, you can step up a little bit. Here's, here's how you can stair-step this. You can just put designs up on Zazzle or Threadless. Once you get a little traction, you can put your own product up on Etsy, E-T-S-Y. Again, not much risk there. They're, they're doing a lot of marketing, so they're going to give you a lot of traffic, and you can see if your product really does sell. Now, there are examples, obviously. I mean, if we look at it like Life is Good, the two brothers that started that, Life is Good. They trademarked that phrase, and they have that on a whole lot of things, T-shirts, hats, mugs, mouse pads, and it goes on and on and on. I mean, that's another way to approach this, where you have some kind of a phrase or some kind of a a logo that gets so much traction that you can do it not only on t-shirts, but on mugs, hats, other kind of things as well. So stair step your business in that way where you don't have a lot of risk and a lot of inventory that you're wondering how to get rid of. Well, this comes from Samuel. Interesting question here. He says, Dan, I love the podcast, everything that you're doing. Question is I'm 33 making 1196 an hour. I can't seem to find a decent job but I'm good at helping others find jobs. Is it possible to start a business helping people find jobs and motivating them to start their own business? Can I make money? Well, yes, certainly you can make money. I mean, we know people who are career coaches and helping other people find jobs. You can make a lot of money, but there is kind of an underlying issue here that's um, going to make it a challenge for you. And that is the fact that you can't find a decent job. Now, I know you say you can help other people find good jobs, but the fact that you have, a tr have trouble finding a decent job is kind of a red flag 
for you to position yourself as somebody who can help other people do exactly that. Now, certainly there are coaches who help people do things that they have not done themselves. But when you're talking about this, this is going to be the major core of what you do. I mean, I, I help people start businesses. And I've had a lot of success in starting businesses. I mean, I, that's part of the process here. I think it would be pretty challenging to position yourself in a way that you're going to help other people find jobs when you've had so much trouble doing it yourself. Now, can you make money as a career coach? Well, sure. I mean, if you get trained as a coach and position yourself to help other people do that, sure. I mean, I've got two new clients that I'm starting with yet this week recording this on Wednesday and I've got two new clients tomorrow that are starting with me. I usually take about two a month. Um, I work with them for a period of eight hours. So it's really one day of work and I do about two of those a month. That's pretty much my coaching schedule But those, you know, I, those come in at $4,500 each. So sure, you know, two of those a month. I mean, that's, uh, it doesn't take a lot of my time, but it's a significant part in terms of uh, generating income. Yeah, you can do that, but you can't be duplicitous about this. You can't, uh, you know, it's tough to really do well in teaching somebody how to do a particular thing that you've not really mastered yourself. I would encourage you to experiment with doing a better job of getting a job yourself. You know, go back through the principles and a job search in that chapter. I think it's chapter seven and 48 days to the work you love. See if you can't really refine how this is done. I mean, and you can very quickly transition yourself into a coach if you are able to do it well yourself. Well, this comes from uh, Mrs. Smith in Kingfield, Maine, who says, I'm incredibly new to this podcast, to the ideas. I really like what I've heard so far. It's probable that we will be making a move across the country in a year or two. Is it smarter possible to combine moving with a business startup? I worry about moving to a new state and starting something new right away. It also seems somewhat impractical to start up a business now and then leave, but I also hate the idea of waiting long enough to get established in a new state before starting something new. Well, your, your question, it's easy to answer because if you start a business that is geographic specific, so if you start a little ice cream shop in your town, yeah, then there's no point in doing that if you're going to be moving soon. It's just too complicated. And then you'd have to work out, you know, how to close it down or sell it. No, you don't want to do that. But if you are doing something where you are working in the intellectual property space, where you're doing an ebook or you're doing coaching or you're doing consulting or you're creating online courses, I mean, those things have no geographic specificity at all. You can move tomorrow. I mean, I could move. I could be anywhere in the world. Uh, we travel a lot at this point. So, I mean, most people don't know where I am on any given time, any given week, because the things that I do allow us to move around. It doesn't really matter where we are. And if we wanted to move to Florida, Joanne just got back from Florida. She's talking about, whoa, I want to spend more time down there on, in the sun. I'm thinking, well, it wouldn't be that complicated. If you want to do that, yeah, we can work that out. So if you are starting a business that locks you into a geographic location, nah, that's going to be tough. Don't start that if you're going to move soon. But if you're doing something that you could, that is done online anyway, yeah, you can start a, a business today and 
move six months from now, and it really isn't going to make any difference. Now, Raphael from Wichita Falls, Texas asked, Dan, in your last podcast, while discussing vending machines and other revenues, you mentioned quickly about affiliate income. How does one go about opening the door for affiliate income? For example, through using a coupon code with a company, thanks for all your wisdom and so on. Well, let me tell you some of the ways that we use, that we generate affiliate income. There are lots of ways to do this. You can find people who are pros at this, like, um, oh my gosh, Smart Passive Income. Pat Flynn, God, I couldn't remember his name. Pat Flynn, Smart Passive Income. I mean, he highlights what he generates in affiliate income. I mean, last month, it was $76,000 last month just from affiliate income. Now he's getting income because he refers people to resources for their growing businesses. So if you want to know where you, you can host your blog, he refers you to bluehost.com. Last month, he generated $29,000 in affiliate income from just Bluehost. I mean, if you want to know how to do your own phone app, there's things for that. If you want to know how to start a blog, if you want to know how to where to park your list, if you want to create a newsletter list and be sending that out, he refers people to AWeber. If you want to get a cover for your book, he refers you to 99designs. Well, we do the same the same thing here. Now, I don't do it nearly as aggressively as, as Pat does and don't have near the affiliate income that he does. But yeah, we get a lot of affiliate income because as an example, I will mention that um, I just read a new book called David and Goliath by Malcolm Gladwell. Well, I refer people to our reading list for that or put it in the podcast notes here, a link. Those links to books are always hyperlinked through Amazon. So that means if you go there, you purchase it from Amazon, but I get a little tiny commission on that on the back end. So we have a lot of things. People ask about who do you use for your shopping cart? Well, we refer them to the people that we use for a shopping cart. Who do you use for all the conference calls that you do? Well, we use Instant Teleseminar. But all of those things are affiliate links. Now, we use affiliate links to directions, meaning we refer people to a lot of resources. That creates affiliate income. And then we also have people who refer buyers to us. We have thousands of people who have 48 Days banners on their sites and what they do is direct people back to our site to purchase things. At the end of the month, those people get checks from us. So, yeah, I'm a big believer in affiliate programs, and they can work for you. Now, you have to have a website. You have to have a very active website. You have to have traffic. You have to have an audience. And if you have those things in place, then it's very easy to put in place affiliate income. Now, here's a question from Mark who says, Dan, at a traditional job, personal excellence often invokes jealousy in coworkers. It cost Joe Girard his first job. In my industry, union construction, I've even heard of offers of, of slowing down your pace or getting a broken leg. How does one balance personal excellence at work without, with getting along with coworkers? Well, this is an age-old issue. I mean, there are kids in school who don't think it's cool to do well, and so they criticize and belittle and try to pull other kids back. They make fun of the superstars, the geeks, the nerds, and so there's that pressure to not do well, even if you have the ability to do so. 
And of course, it is rampant in business, especially in union kind of environments where they don't want you to make them look bad. I mean, if you're producing widgets and you can do 100 an hour, but the average being done now is 50, they don't want you to do 100 an hour. It lets the bosses know that's possible and they'll start raising the bar for everybody. So they want you to slack off. And there are, that does come sometimes with intimidation and threats. Here's the way I would encourage you to approach it. Decide where you want to be three years from now. If you want to maintain where you are, then learn how to fit in well. If you want to be somewhere where there's more responsibility, more opportunity, more pay, then keep stretching to be your very best, regardless of what those around you are doing. I mean, you don't want to be where they are three years from now. So don't do what they're doing. I mean, it's just kind of that old adage. You know, you do what you continue doing what you're doing now. You're going to continue getting the results that you get now. So that really is the issue here. If you want to be where they are three years from now or six months from now, yeah, then just go along with the program. But if you've got bigger sites that you're set on, yeah, don't compromise. Do your best. Have a great attitude. Show up early. Do the more than what's expected of you. And what's going to happen is you're going to move out of that environment. They're not going to keep you there. You're going to have an opportunity to move into new things. If that's what you want, which I assume that it is, you know, don't be held back by the small thinkers who are saying, hey, I know you can do more, but we don't want to let the boss know. We want to get paid what we're getting paid, even if we aren't doing our best work. Yeah, those aren't people you want to hang around. Those aren't people you want to be like. Those aren't people you want to model. So don't be like that. Do your best. New opportunities are going to open up right in front of you. T.W. Aarons from Omaha. I've moved into a field I'm passionate about. And you did, you did play a role in motivating me to make the change. I went into financial advising arena. I love what I do. However, I'm struggling with cold calls, even with people who know me. I'm great with people and can work with anyone. However, I just can't get over making phone calls. Please help. If I improve in this area, I know I can be very successful. However, I already feel defeated before calling anyone. And when I can make some calls, I'm sure my apprehension comes out on the phone. Once I have a meeting set up with a prospect, I usually get their business and start a great relationship. However, I know I need to get better at this in order to have longevity. I'd like to turn my feelings 360 degrees around. Thanks, Dan. Well, a couple things here, TW. For one, my encouragement is to know yourself. Now, we talked about that a lot in last week's podcast. Know yourself. To thine own self be true. Then thou canst not be false to any man. We know that old Shakespeare saying. So I encourage people to know yourself well and to stay within your strongest areas of competence. Now that doesn't mean we can't learn to do new things, but especially in selling, a lot of times people put themselves in a selling model that is not a good fit. Here's an example. Let's say that somebody is really compassionate, understanding, great friend, good listener. And so they get involved in a multi-level marketing company. Now in multi-level marketing business, the model is you better be talking to about 30 new people every day. Because you're going to sift through a whole lot of people to find those couple winners and keepers out of that. 
So you better be comfortable talking to a whole lot of people. I mean, you, you should be the kind of person that breaks the silence in the elevator. Yeah, you could go out to the airport and talk to 30 people before you get to the gate that you're going out on. I mean, if you're that kind of person, you can do well in multi-level marketing or network marketing business. If you're not that kind of person, that's probably not a good business model for you. Find something that's more customer service oriented, something where you would be seeing the same customers over and over again. So that's the first thing here. I think you need to make be realistic about, is this a good business fit for you? Doesn't mean it's not a good company, not a good product, you're not a good person. I mean, all those things can be excellent, but it's, is it a fit or not? So make sure that it fits you. It's not uncommon for people who are drawn into financial advising, people selling insurance, advising about investments, selling mutual funds, to be high S's, where they're just like you describe here, TW, where once you get with somebody, you do a great job, but you hate the prospecting. Not uncommon at all. Be that as it may, if you really want to get good at this, I mean, you can do it. You can get good at this, but you have to recognize, you have to frame it so that you're selling a product, not yourself. A lot of people, when they sell, they feel like they're promoting themselves too much. And that can be true when you're selling your services as a financial advisor. But recognize that you're selling a product. Sell the process. I'll come back to that in a second. Here's a couple other things. I want you to have a clear script so you're not just winging it. So you have a clear script that you're looking at when you make these phone calls. When you make your phone calls, stand up. You'll speak with more confidence and more volume in your voice. You'll you'll talk from your diaphragm if you're standing up. So don't be sitting back slouching the chair. Stand up. Have a mirror in front of you so you can see yourself So you can see, would I be interested in talking with this person? Smile when you're talking, even on the phone. Now, these are things that can really help your sales selling success. Then you want to work the numbers. Now, by that, what I mean is know how many prospecting calls do you have to have until you get an appointment to at least meet with somebody. Is that 15? Is it 20? Is it 10? Is it five? Know your numbers. Because if you know your numbers, then you know you're just going through the numbers. So if you've had two months of experience, here's an example. I once had a little advertising concept that I was doing where I would go out and sell advertising. We would put that little space, the advertising, like the size of a business card on the inside cover of a leather bound telephone address book that like a church or some kind of bank could give out to their customers or congregants. So I was selling the ads. Now I wanted to go through that really rapidly. So I didn't call people to make appointment. I would go into a town I mean, I could go into any town in America, drop in and in four or five days, complete a project. So what I was doing with that, I didn't want to call somebody and they'd say, well, yeah, gee, I'd be happy to talk to you. Why don't you come by next Thursday at three o'clock? Well, I didn't want that. I wanted to, be in this town blitz get out so I would make a list in the morning of every of 15 companies that I was going to walk into unannounced uninvited not knowing who was there 15 now with that and I would do that I would do this day after day after day so I would complete a project in about five days I mean that was my goal start on Monday finish it Friday about noon be out 
back home for the weekend. So I would have 15 that I was going to contact this morning. So I would walk into the businesses. I would find businesses that were close geographically so I didn't waste a lot of time traveling from one to the next. Boom, 15. I knew out of 15, I was probably only going to meet about eight decision makers. So, yeah, I mean, just walking in, sometimes the decision maker was not going to be there. I knew that. But my goal was to make at least eight presentations. I knew that my closing ratio was 67%. Day in, day out, 67%. So if I made eight presentations, that meant that I was going to close, walk out of the business with checks from four or five of those. I could make the numbers work on that. That meant that in a five-day week, I could easily complete a project. The project allowed for 21 ad spots. I could complete that easily in that period of time. Boom, I would walk out of town, do what I said I was going to do, and have four to 5000 bucks net profit in my pocket. I would do that week after week. Really, in that period of time, I would usually do that two weeks out of the month. And then the other two weeks I spent building a new business that I was working on, which really has a lot of the the characteristics of, of what I'm doing today. But I knew my numbers, 67%. Now, what that meant was if I got five no's in a row, it was no big deal to me. Because I knew I was getting ready to hit a run where I'd get, you know, four yeses. Boom, 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 boom. So if you're going to be in selling, you have to know your numbers. And that can give you a lot of comfort so that you aren't just dreading, gee, just that next call. But the other part of that is you better be on the phone. You better be making those 15 calls. You know, now here's the thing with what I was describing. If I had a list of 15 and I knew that out of those, I was going to be able to get with the decision makers with eight decision makers and I was going to, out of that, get my four or five sales, I could spend an entire week making those initial 15 contacts. So I could just spend a lot of time going from business. Or here's the other thing that salespeople are notorious for doing. Knowing they've got 15 businesses identified, They'll choose one on the east side of town and the next one's on the west side of town and the next one's on the north side of town. So they spend half their day in their car just getting from one business to the next. It's a, it's a very acceptable way for a salesperson to procrastinate. And that's what they're doing. They're just procrastinating. Well, I don't want to do that. I want to get the results. So what I would do is get businesses that were close together where sometimes I could go to three or four without even getting back in my car. Just boom, boom, boom. That's what I wanted. That's what you want. You want to hit your numbers hard. So if you have as a goal to contact 30 new people this this week, and I don't know what your numbers are, man, just set it up so you can go through those numbers in one afternoon. So you don't spread it out, dreading it. So you really do set your week up with appointments with people you're going to sit down and see so you can go through presenting your product with them. Now, here's what you do. Let me go through just, this is worth, I'm going to give you 10 steps to go through here just real quickly. This is what we use here when we're launching a product. So when you hear me describing a product, we're getting ready to launch a new video series on the ultimate advantage, how to start your own mastermind group. 
you're going to hear me going through these 10 things in this when I introduce new product. Now, this product could be your coaching, your financial services, but here's what I go through. This is a formula that I go through. So here are the steps. Number one, introduce yourself. Number two, identify the problem or opportunity. You know, have you ever had this challenge? Number three, personal results. Here's what I did. This is what I discovered. Number four, product overview, features and benefits. Number five, price. Number six, bonuses. It's already a deal, but you're going to add this. Number seven, guarantee. Number eight is call to action. And, you know, I... It's another thing that if you're weak in selling, if you're reticent, if you're having low confidence in selling, when you get to the call to action, a lot of people will never do that. They'll just kind of hear the person say, well, let me think about it. And they say, well, okay. And that's it. You know, you're not going to sell anything if you just allow somebody to get off the phone when they say, well, let me think about it. There has to be a call to action. You have to watch your voice here. If you change your tone or level of enthusiasm, it'll be detected. If you get to that point and you say, well, you know, do you want to come in and see me? Now, here's what I, when your voice goes up at the end of a statement, it asks, it sounds like a question rather than a directive. So, Number eight is call to action. Number nine is surprise bonus. Number 10 is testimonials. And that's a, that's a formula that we go through here. If we're going to describe coaching, if we're going to describe one of the books we have or an audio program or a live event, we go right through those things. Number one, introduce yourself to identify the problem, three personal results, four product overview, five price, six bonuses, seven guarantee, eight call to action, nine bonuses again surprise bonuses number 10 testimonials that's what we do learn how to sell i mean read zig ziglar secrets of closing the sale still is the top book on how to sell in the the arena that you're talking about malcolm says dan in the last podcast one of your listeners mentioned getting a raise in his job after becoming more productive due to a change in attitude Well, I find the testimonial inspiring. While I find the testimonial inspiring, I'm wondering if there can be a point where a job or career is such a poor fit that you can't maintain a positive or upbeat attitude. In reading the blog about if it's time to change positions, I know that knowing what I know, tongue twister, now about my position that I would not accept this position again. Fortunately, I finally made some moves toward entrepreneurship and freedom, but was curious if there could be a point where even an intentional change in attitude would not be effective in producing positive results. Well, Malcolm, yes. And when I talk about somebody giving a success story where they changed their attitude and it led to an increase, a bonus, a promotion, I mean, I love those stories. But if you recognize that it's a poor fit. Yeah. You don't hear me recommending that you just change your attitude and learn to live with it. No, I mean, I'm, I'm quick to pull the trigger. You know that in changing what you're doing, if you know, it's not a good fit. And when you ask that question and the question that you reference in the blog that I wrote recently was, you know, knowing what you know now, would you, if you woke up tomorrow morning, knowing what you know now, would you go interview and want to get the job that you currently have. 
And if the answer to that is no, my recommendation is find another job. Change. Don't just try to talk yourself into staying there. No. If you really would not want to apply for the job that you have now, then my recommendation is make a change. So, yeah, there are going to be plenty of times where it doesn't make sense just to try to have a better attitude about what you're doing. My, my recommendation is have a great attitude no matter what it is you're doing. So if you're in a job that you know you really don't want to stay in, my gosh, having a great attitude is, is the best way to open up new opportunities for things other than that that you can do. That'll make people notice you. Golly, I, I have hired some amazing people over the years just because I saw them in the jobs that they were working in with really great attitudes. I heard a little gal one time who was working in a shoe store in a mall. And I mean, she was, she had the most bubbly personality and just a great contagious smile. And I bought a pair of shoes and I asked her, have you ever thought about doing something other than this? She says, well, yeah, geez, I'd love to do something other than this. I mean, I hired her essentially on the spot because of her attitude, had her work for me at the fitness center that I had at the time, she was dynamite. She was a dynamite, natural salesperson because she was so enthusiastic. She loved aerobics. You know, she was already involved in that. So it was a very easy positioning to put her into that. She sold her enthusiasm, rocked the house, bought a Corvette. She bought a, a silver black split Corvette. I can still see it. But I mean, her success was astounding. And I was delighted to give her that opportunity because I saw her great attitude working in a job that she wasn't really thrilled about. So I still recommend the great attitude. Yeah, even if you're in a job that you're not thrilled about, that in itself will open new opportunities. Okay, Richard says, what advice would you have about opening a franchise in a new market? Although other franchise owners have been helpful you can never be sure how the results in existing areas of the country would translate into a brand new market. I've heard both success and failure from franchise owners in all geographics, and they say new markets are much more difficult. How would you approach this opportunity? Well, that's a really big question. A lot of components involved there, Richard. When you're working with a franchise, they ought to give you a lot of helpful information. I mean, that's the power of a franchise, is that you're not going into something with your eyes not open. I mean, they can tell you what it's been like. They can tell you what the success of other franchisees has been. They can connect you with franchisees so you can talk to them yourself. Now, if you're going to open a McDonald's and you're going to open that in the middle of the desert in Colorado somewhere, so it's a new market, well, there are some things that are probably look like red flags. Why hasn't it been done there before? If it's a very popular franchise. Now, you didn't mention McDonald's. I have no idea what the franchise is. I suspect it's not that. But if it's not been done in a particular area before, it's reasonable to ask, why not? Why hasn't it been done? Are there reasons that would make it a poor location? Talk to other franchisees about their success in comparable locations. Now, franchise model, just because it is a franchise model, they tend to be extremely successful. You can 
see what the track record is. It's not like starting something on your own. That's why they're so popular. And, and it really, I mean, they use kind of the old cliche, you're in business for yourself, but not by yourself. And that's a reasonable framing of what a franchise is. So there's a lot of advantages to know to a franchise. I'm not particularly drawn to a franchise for the very reasons I've already mentioned in that they're not looking for entrepreneurs. They're looking for people who are going to duplicate what they say to do. I don't do too well at just trying to stay within the rules and do what other people are suggesting that I do. I don't do too well in that kind of environment. I would not be a good candidate for a franchise. But if the model fits you, I mean, it's kind of that in-between space, in-between being an employee and really being an entrepreneur and doing something in your own. So there's a lot of successes. I mean, my gosh, I know people that have Papa John's and people that have Chick-fil-A and people that have McDonald's, you know, who are just rocking because of their success in doing that and doing it really well. But ultimately, there's no guarantee when you start a business, even with a franchise, you're risking your time, effort, and money. There's no guarantee that it's going to work well. You have to do your own research and be confident that in going into that new arena, that new geographic location, that it's going to make sense, that it's something you want to do, that it's where you want to live, where you want to be, and that you're committed to making it a success there. Well, let me grab a couple more. R.J. Pope from Columbus, Georgia, says, Dan, I've written a children's story for Christmas. And I'd like to make it into a picture book, something like Max Lucado's The Most Marvelous Gift. But I need an illustrator to create pictures for the story, and then I need to decide about self-publishing versus pitching the idea to a publishing company. This is my first attempt at writing, so any advice you can give me is greatly appreciated. Well, RJ, you're, you're, um, you're going to learn a lot in writing your first children's book. You're going to learn about you know, editing. You're going to learn about layout, about copywriting, about getting your own ISBN, about distribution, about marketing. I mean, there's a whole lot of things. It's a great way to learn a whole lot of things about a business even if it is just writing one little children's book, because you're going to have to go through all those steps before you actually have something in hand. Now, the fact that you need an illustrator to create pictures for the story, and then you need to decide about self-publishing. Now, I'm going to give you some kind of steps here. The number one tip I've got for you is get involved in 48days.net. There's no cost. There's a whole lot of people there that are doing exactly what you're describing here. Get involved there. Get in the Write It Forward group. That's led by Kent Julian. There's like 1,500 people in there. There are tons of conversations going on on any given day about exactly what you're asking about here. How do you find an illustrator? And Joanne, my wife, does children's books. She has a lady, Rose Goss, from Pennsylvania, who does the illustration. I mean, she, you, you want to find an illustrator, not just an illustrator, you ought to interview illustrators like you would interview somebody that you were going to hire for your business. So you ought to interview four or five illustrators, see samples of their work, talk to them because you want somebody that you know, I can trust, you know, gets what it is you're trying to convey in your children's book. And I just mean that. I mean, I really want you to understand that they get it. They, they have to, they have to think 
in the same way that you're trying to tell the story in order to do the illustrations that are going to tell the story well. But get involved in 48days.net. Those people can help you dramatically with what you're describing here. And you say, then you need to decide about self-publishing versus pitching the idea to a publishing company. Don't waste your time pitching the idea for a children's book to a publishing company as a first-time author. You'll get frustrated and you'll, you'll be convinced it can never work because there's not a publisher out there that's going to take your idea as an unknown author for a children's book. It's just too tough to get into that. Now, obviously, I just made a big, broad generalization there. I don't like to never say never, but in this situation, don't waste your time. If you want to do a children's book and this is your first uh, move into this arena, be confident you need to do it yourself. Now, there are many ways that you can do that. I mean, check out the options on CreateSpace. That's a branch of Amazon. They'll give you a lot of help. They'll put it right into their distribution in Amazon, which is what you want. You can work with them, and they'll give you a lot of help. And some of the things even that you're talking about here, you just pay a fee. You kind of choose from a menu to see what it is you want to do. We use Lightning Source, which is a division of Ingram Publishing, here close to where we live in Middle Tennessee, for the children's books that Joanne does. However, like on this next one that she's doing, she's just completing a book, which is a not a children's book, but it's about finding your creativity and how to leverage that. It'll be a lengthier book. It'll be a traditional book of about 200 pages with lots of illustrations in that. We are not using Lightning Source for that. We're going to have a company in China print it because the cost for printing four-color print are so exorbitant, and we can do it for about a third what we could get it done here in the States if we get it done with this company that we're working with in China. So, I mean, every project requires that you go through all the pieces to decide how would this work well. Now, there are companies out there that are what we call hybrids. They're in between doing it totally on your own and using a traditional publisher. Companies like Morgan James as a publisher is a hybrid. So they really give you a lot of help in the process, but you're going to pay for your initial books. They're not going to give you an advance and a royalty or anything like that. They're going to, you're going to pay for their help to get that book up and running in the system, but they can help you do it really well. So it won't look like a first grader just getting started. Anyway, a lot of issues, but the first thing, just jump in the group in 48days.net. They can help you. You'll see discussions on every issue that you've addressed here where there's a whole lot of resources that are already given. It'll help you shorten the time dramatically to get your own children's book out there. Well, golly, let me just kind of recap here a little bit what we've talked about. Uh, we talked about how your thinking leads you. Remember that poem I read, The Victor, if you think you're beaten, you're, you are. Golly, just uh, look that up if you need to be reminded of that again, because ultimately our thinking leads to what we experience in the reality of where we are. Talked about making eleven ninety six an hour. Can you help other people find jobs? Yeah, it's kind of uh, questionable, though, when you haven't been able to do it well yourself. Learn that first, then you can, in fact, help other people. No problem. We talked a lot about cold calls. What do you do if you are making cold calls? Golly, can you get better at that? Absolutely, you can get better at that. I love the process of selling. You can learn how to do that well. Hey, next week, I'm going to be talking about 
a really challenging question somebody has submitted about the idea in Proverbs that I don't want to make too much money or too little. I'm scared of either end. How do we get over that if we really do want to do better? I'm going to be unpacking that a little bit. Thanks for being part of this group where we are finding or creating work that is meaningful, purposeful, productive, and profitable. Don't settle for less.